All right. Welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions, LLC. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. Excited for this guest. Uh, I think some of our listeners are going to know who this gentleman is, yep. especially if they're in the hockey world, but many listeners won't. I'm excited because this guy's got the greatest story of working in the world of hockey. So I don't want to spoil it. Go right into the intro. Yeah. Andrew. So today we're excited to have with us today, Jeff Tuohy. So Jeff began working as a scout in the OHL for the Peterborough Peets from 1980 until 89. He was then promoted to assistant GM and assistant coach, serving that role for four seasons. And then in 93 was promoted to general manager for the Peterborough Peets. Jeff went on to spend 17 years as general manager during that time with Peterborough Peets, he has won three AHL championships along the way until he received an offer he couldn't refuse as he packed his bags to work as a scout for the Arizona Coyotes from 2010 until 2012. He later then returned to the OHL and spent two seasons as the GM for the Oshawa Generals and then returned to the Arizona Coyotes organization to work as the director of amateur scouting from 14 to 2019. <clears throat> Lastly, he returned to the OHL one final time as a senior advisor for the Kingston Frontenacs, and then from 2019 to 2020. It was a mouthful, but he has got quite the resume, so we are very yes. excited to have on Jeff Tui today. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks thanks for having me. And you know, Andrew, when you go through all that, I was feeling pretty good. Now I just feel old. <laughs> yeah, but what, what a hell of a, a resume to have. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, obviously, we're going to start for our, our listeners back. And uh, uh, we did a little bit of homework on you. So you're a defenseman and you're playing in, uh, uh, in, 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 in high school and you get hurt. And because of that injury, you uh, missed a draft in the OHL. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I, I was I, I grew up in a small town, guys, first of all, and, and uh, was a was very passionate, loved to play. And, you know, I was not a high end player by any means, but uh, played with guys that on our teams that went on and played in, in the OHL and on to pro. But, uh, you know, I was working and, and I was hoping some way that I might get drafted. But uh, Christmas of my my draft year, I got hurt. And, uh, you know, I had to miss the rest of the year and then I couldn't play the following year. So my my playing career was pretty much over. Now, you know, whether I would have been good enough to ever get drafted or play in the OHL, I don't know, but the, the injury took, took that opportunity away from me. And that's kind of when I started focusing more on, you know, trying to find my way in hockey when I couldn't do it as a player. So you start to volunteer to be a scout. And of course, we're going to have a lot of uh, very basic questions about yep. scouting at both the junior level and, 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 uh, in the pro level as well. But uh, so you do a little scouting, but you contact Dave Dryden at Peterborough because uh, you don't live too far from there. I, I, if, I, if I remember, you're from Sudbury, I think. I'm from Lindsay, which is, I went to school in Sudbury, but Lindsay is about a half hour from Peterborough. Um, so yeah, well, I started when I was finished, when I found out I couldn't play anymore, I, I just figured, well, maybe I can get into hockey. And I I wrote a letter to every junior B team and, and tier two junior A team in, in Ontario. And uh, only one team got back to me and it was a team just North of Toronto in a, in a little town called Aurora. And uh, the Aurora Tigers were a, a tier two junior A for those that don't understand it in Ontario was a level below the OHL. It's still kind of titled junior A, but it's tier two junior A. So it's a lower level. It would be the equivalent maybe in the U S of, of the North American hockey league. 
so um, yeah, they they were uh, they took a chance on me as a young kid. I was only 18, and and uh, you know running around trying to find them players. And then I went to school in Sudbury, Ontario, which is up north, northern Ontario. And when I was up there, I realized that Peterborough didn't have a scout in the north. And I reached out to Dave Dryden, who had just taken over uh, Peterborough as the coach and general manager, who's obviously for those that don't know is Ken Dryden's uh, brother and uh, asked if they needed any help. And surprisingly, he, he got back to me and said, yeah, we could use somebody up there. And the fact that you've been working in tier two and, and I'd worked hockey schools, you know, from a young age as well. With, with, I worked at Bobby Orr's hockey school. And when it closed down, I worked uh, from day one with Roger Nielsen at his. So I had, I had hockey school experience. I had tier two scouting experience. So Dave gave me a chance in, in Sudbury, which, for those that aren't aware, Sudbury is Northern Ontario. It's, it's cold up there. And uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a car and, and I, I got an opportunity with the Pete. So, you know, getting around to games was a challenge, but I did it. And uh, so I'll be forever thankful that, that Dave Dryden gave me that opportunity in, in Peterborough. And then uh, Dick Todd who took over as, a, as when Dave Dryden lost his job in Peterborough, Dave, Dick Todd took over and really kind of gave me an opportunity to, 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 gain more experience and become more involved. So uh, didn't get rich doing it, but uh, certainly loved it. You know, it's just, it's, it's something you have to have a passion for. And, uh, and I did, I loved it. I never, never complained. You had to take a bus or hitchhike to a game, whatever it was to get there. Um, I did it. So Jeff, two, two follow-up questions. Number one is, and you just said it, you got to have such a passion for the game and you do. And, you know, for the early part, like you said, you, you did this, you know, for, for no money. Uh, what is it about the game of hockey that's so special and passionate for you? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I grew up, obviously, my, my family were not huge hockey fans, but, you know, we, we always had Hockey Night in Canada on, on a Saturday night because there wasn't much else out, out there to watch. And when I was growing up, you know, you there wasn't a lot else to do. We played on outdoor rinks. We played road hockey in the spring and the fall. I mean, we we're always playing. And uh, I also, I, I grew up with uh, a couple of guys, Dave and Don Maloney, uh, who were longtime NHL players. Uh, Don is the assistant GM of the Calgary Flames now. Uh, played for the New York Rangers. Dave, his brother Dave played for the Rangers, was the youngest captain in the Rangers history and is a broadcast um, a guy now for the for the for the Rangers so they were kind of idols of mine they were older than me and you know that's where I first got introduced to the OHL the first time I went to a game in Peterborough uh, they were playing the Kitchener Rangers and Dave Maloney we went to see him because he was a family friend and uh, just I just love the history of it I love uh, the, the, the characters you know I, I love um, the friendships that you build from it um, I love being part of a team whether it was a you know, a small part is just a kind of part-time scout like I was back then, just feeling part of a team. Um, I, I love uh, going into places that I'd never been, you know, and, and into rinks and meeting people and watching young players play and seeing young players progress and, and uh, the challenge of trying to project where, where players can get to. So I think it's all part of it, but it, it just started. Hockey was something that, you know, I, I can remember clearly when I was a young kid, um, every Friday, um, I would go downtown and you could get the hockey news and I would read it cover to cover, you know, and I would, 
you know, I read everything I could read of just, I was a fan and I loved it. I love playing. Um, and if I couldn't make it as a player, then the next best thing was to be part of a team in another role. So you're 18 years old and, and I, I'm sure there's different levels of scouting. We could talk about this a little bit later, but so as 18 years old, you're, you're a volunteer scout up in Northern Ontario. What, what do you do? Like, do you have to prepare a report? Is it just stats or is it just, hey, here's a list of players? Yeah, well, um, I was going to university at the time, too. So I had to had to go to school and, and uh, you know, you, you kind of would you would get a, a they have central scouting in, in the Ontario Hockey League. So you would get a list early in the year of who the projected good players were and where they played. So up north, you know, they, they, there'd be teams listed that, you know, these are guys that are good players on these teams. So I would run out see them and then write a report up. And then, you know, at the end of the month, mail all my reports in because back then we didn't have computers. So <laughs> you'd write them out by hand and, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd mail them all in and, and you would, you would start making your list. And, and uh, you know, we'd sit in on meetings as, as you got closer to the draft, which back then in the Ontario hockey league was always the first weekend in June. So you'd go through meetings, you'd talk about the, the players, you'd get to know the coaches, um, try and find out what you could about the players. But the great thing about doing what I did, um, first of all, I, I never thought it was a burden. I, I, I loved it, but I didn't understand it at the time, but I started making a lot of contacts, you know, cause you start, you're out at build games as a, as a young guy and you're meeting people and you're trying to find out things and, and your, your network really starts to expand, which becomes very crucial to you as you, move up in scouting so so long-winded answer but but watch games every chance you could do reports try and project where these kids could get to and try and find out as much as you could about them so if we were going to draft them in peterborough i could say hey this guy's a good kid or i've heard bad things about him or whatever um so you know it's not rocket science but you've got to put the time into it for sure so you get your business degree from the university and then, you know, you start climbing the ranks here. Uh, did it ever occur to you that maybe the possibility that Peterborough was actually uh, kind of molding you while you're at the university and moving up the ranks and now you get your business degree and, you know, you get your credentials, you, you know where I'm going. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because back then these, the OHL now is a big business. Every team, They've got staff, marketing people, they've got business people. But back then it was, it, it, the teams were all small. The staffs were small. And I remember when the when I was done school, I went to Dick Todd, who was, who was running the Pete's. And I said, listen, like any jobs you don't want, I'll do. Like, if you can give me an opportunity, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And remember he said to me, we just don't have anything. We don't have a budget. Um, you know, we don't have any room for you. And, uh, and I got an opportunity, I got an interview in Kingston. Uh, the Kingston Canadians at the time interviewed me for an assistant general manager's position. I was so excited and they called me a week later and said, uh, no, we don't have any money, so we can't bring anybody in. So instant disappointment again. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm probably gonna have to enter the real world. And uh, I was working at Roger Nielsen's hockey school and Dick Todd called me in the summer and he said, listen, our, our trainer just quit. We don't have a trainer. So would you like to be the trainer? Now you couldn't do that these days. These days, obviously you got to be qualified. So I was not qualified. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I taught myself everything I could about injuries and you know how to sharpen skates. And I became the trainer, but I was also scouting. So I was probably the only scout trainer, <laughs> you know, combination in the league. But uh, it's a different time now. I mean, but just to give you an example, like I learned how to take stitches out, which is not a big deal. But but we had a team doctor at the time. He's like, listen, somebody gets cut really bad. Just stitch them up on the bench. I'll show you how. You stitch them. I said, that's one thing. I'll draw the line there. I'm not going to stitch them. And uh, the other thing I learned was if you don't know what's going on with an injury, fake it, put ice on it. <laughs> wait for the doctor. Wow. Yeah. So, Give him so, some time and all. Yeah. But you know, it was great because um, I became, I wasn't much older than the players. And so I spent a lot of time with the players and I think it gave me a really good kind of ability to read players and you know their moods and how things affect them and and uh kind of learned it from the ground up but just to take it further as i said at that point there was three people that were with the peterborough peets there was dick todd was the coach and general manager we had a secretary and me and we had jacques martin who's recently was a assistant coach for the new york rangers he was a part-time assistant coach for us and he taught part-time so as a trainer i was scouting I was doing the training. I was selling ads. Uh, I was finding billets. I was doing press notes. I mean, but that's just the way it was, you know? So, and again, when I took over there, it was easy for me to tell the staff, it's like, listen, there's nothing you guys are going to do that I haven't done. So, yeah. so it was good, you know? And, I, and I, I always felt privileged just to have an opportunity to work in hockey, you know? So to me, it was never a burden. So how, as a scout, just back then during that time, how, how was your performance graded by uh, management? How do they, how do they know you did a good job? Well, you know what, Andrew, it, it, I was really lucky uh, because I had the time uh, when I first started, I wasn't married and I had nothing else to do. And so whenever the Pete's weren't playing, I was on the road and I figured out early that it was important to go places that um, other people didn't go. And I came up with some players and I don't know if you'll remember any of them, but we came up one year with a goalie in the fourth round that was playing junior C hockey, which is about as low as you can go. His name was John Tanner. And uh, he came right in as a 16 year old and was an impact goalie and went on. He played in the NHL for a bit uh, for the Quebec Nordique. But um, I, I think I got credibility early. Um, found a guy, Jason Cullimore, who won the Stanley Cup with Tampa the first time they won it. Yeah. Yep. Same thing, playing in a low level. We took a chance on him. Um, uh, so, so, you know, if, if you can get lucky, as I did, um, had some of those players not turned out, they, they very easily could have come to me and said, listen, just worry about training. Let us <laughs> But I got lucky, you know, we found some guys and I worked hard at it. And I, and I, as I said, I went a lot of times where other people didn't go. And back in those days, Andrew, it wasn't like it is now where there's no secrets. I don't think with them, with the internet, everybody knows where the players are. It's very difficult to find players, but back then, if you worked a little harder, you could find them. And, uh, and thankfully we did. So considering then just the, those nine, first nine years as a scout in the OHL, who was the most talented player you came across? Uh, uh, well, in, in that time frame, um, maybe Mike Ricci. Um, there was others after that. But in that time frame, Mike was playing in Toronto, and uh, he was playing on a Bantam team. 
And uh, back then we were drafting mostly from what we called at the time minor midget, which is now known as under 16. Um, we had a we had a scout in Toronto who identified Mike, and uh, you know we all kind of zeroed in on him. And and when we took him in the second round, a lot of people were surprised. He was a little under the radar, but Mike went on to be the I think he was the fifth overall pick in the NHL draft. Played over a thousand games. Um, so in that time frame you know, Mike would be, Mike would have been right up there for sure. Um, we found another guy that wasn't a big name. Uh, and I remember I really kind of put my ass on the line for a guy by the name of Ross Wilson. And uh, if you look up Ross, I mean, he's long retired now, but Ross um, played in Sudbury, uh, was a big right winger that didn't skate very well, but could score goals. And I remember sitting at the table and there's just something came over me we had him on our list high and I just really pounded the table and I just was passionate. I want this guy badly. And Dick Todd uh, listened to me and took him. And uh, this is what happens when you're scouting. So then, you know, all summer I'm worried, like, geez, I hope this guy's going to pan out. And, uh, you know, Ross, you know, was kind of a soft-spoken guy. He came down to the table and, you know, not a lot of life to him and came to training camp, didn't do much at first. And, but by the end of the year, he had like 28 goals, 150 penalty minutes, you know, like was a real, like a, a really good player. The only thing that kept him out of the NHL was his skating. So, um, you know, again, thankfully I had, I had the courage to put my ass on the line and, and thankfully Ross, uh, you know, made me look good, but, uh, you know, so, so there was other guys that came after that, but during that time frame, there's just a couple of, of guys that really panned out well for us. So you get promoted to assistant GM and uh, you know, four years later, you, you get to be GM. How, how did that transpire? And, and, you know, and were you surprised to get the GM spot or was that something you were kind of hoped for, or maybe you were groomed for? I don't know. Well, I, after we won an OHL championship in, in 1989, and uh, I think the ownership here in, in Peterborough kind of knew that, you know, I didn't want to be a trainer the rest of my life. And I think uh, maybe it's just my ego a bit, but I think they were worried about maybe losing me that I might've gone somewhere else just to be focused strictly on the hockey part. But they came to me and, and offered me the opportunity to be the assistant GM, assistant coach actually. And uh, uh, I jumped on it. And uh, so I did it, you know, coached with Dick Todd and was his assistant for four years. And then he left to go to uh, the New York Rangers as an assistant coach. And uh, so now we needed a, coach general manager and I was I was kind of kicking around in my mind am I going to be a, a coach general manager or am I going to be just the general manager and the ownership at the time felt that that business is starting to grow and we think it's important to have a guy just as a general manager to focus on that the coach just focus on coaching and and although I hated to give up the coaching part of it I realized that I was a better I, I could be a better general manager than a coach and uh, so um, I, I knew I was, it was when Dick Todd left, I knew it was going to be me. It's just whether I was going to be coach GM or just GM. And uh, I think that was the right decision for me just to be the general manager. And then I, as you said, I did it for the next 17 years. Yeah. So we had mentioned off the air, Rob Murray, he's here in Tulsa as the coach mm -hmm. and general manager. So he signs the players and stuff as well. So uh, was, no, he's not. Well, that's a question we're going to ask Jeff. Right. Uh, so he's not general manager, but he's director of, players basically he's like the general manager but i'm assuming in the east coast league 
a general manager's job is more of a organizational part and Rob just takes care of all the trades and transactions. But so then as an assistant GM and assistant coach, how did you balance both of those jobs? I mean, it's like two different jobs, right? Yeah. Well, you know what, Andrew, you, you spend your days, you know, you, you start to get into a routine of, you know, making sure you handle both, you know, the, I had to do pretty well everything Dick Todd didn't want to do. He gave me all the all the nice fun jobs, you know, finding billets, uh, selling advertising, all that stuff. Um, but the coaching was the most important. So first thing I do is go in, get practice all set up, ready for him. And then, you know, there'd be scouting stuff we'd have to take care of. We had other scouts get, get their reports, you know, maintaining our list, um, you know, worrying about kids in school, how they're doing. Um, you know, everything was just every day, like I used to come home, especially when I was general manager and my wife would say like, like, what do you do all day? Like, you must just sit around. Like, what do you do? <laughs> I would say to her, it's like, you know what? I'm not really sure what I do, but I'm busy all day. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a big thing we haven't talked about, but in junior hockey, one of the major responsibilities is making sure these kids go to school and, and maintain their marks. And, and uh, because that's a responsibility you, you, you should take on when you bring these kids in, in the Ontario hockey league, they leave home at 16, you know, and they move away and the parents are trusting you to look after the kids. So that doesn't sound like much, but it's like having 20 sons all in high school, you know, and making sure you know how they're doing and if they need extra help or if they're screwing up at school, how do you deal with it? But you have to take that responsibility seriously. So they're busy days in junior hockey for sure. So what is the role then of a GM um, in the OHL? Is it, I mean, is it typical to the, uh, the NHL or is it more typical to like the East Coast League we were talking about? More of organizational based or did you have to deal with uh, any trades, transactions, things like that? Yeah, well, it, it's different in every city, um, every kind of how they do it. When I was in Peterborough, I was in charge of the whole organization. So as a general manager, so all the trades, scouting, um, the, the, the trainers, if they were buying equipment, everything, you know, the marketing plan, all that stuff. When I was in Oshawa for a couple of years, they had a guy in charge of all the business uh, part of it. So I was just hockey. I worried about the trades, the draft, uh, all that stuff. So every city is different, but I would say now that it's become such a big business, most of the general managers in the Ontario Hockey League are overseeing the hockey part of it. Um, I know here in Peterborough, the general manager, that's all he does now. They've got a business side that, that worry about that. So, you know, I, I kind of wish I had that at the time. I could have focused, you know, even more on hockey because that's what I enjoy. The business part, I can't say I enjoyed it, but it was crucial because it's a small market here and you, you have to, you know, you have to take it seriously to survive because this city's small. And uh, again, it's, it's a small market in an increasingly big market league. So is, did, did you have any pressure or uh, have to take any notes from ownership uh, of, of how to deal with a team? Uh, we had Jim Thompson on uh, yeah. a couple, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he, he owns his, his team and he's very big um, on, you know, having the right players for his team. You know, he says you'd rather take, character over talent uh at least at this point in time and and you know it seems like he's making the gm and the coach really uh keep tabs on the players i mean if they're smoking even a little weed he wants them off the team 
you know, things like that. What, what has been your experience with that type of thing of, like you said, looking over 16 to 18 year olds? Well, first of all, initially when I took over, um, the, the ownership here were fine. I mean, they allowed me to, you know, we had a really good culture here. So I was allowed to, you know, just continue the way. And I believed in the culture and, and uh, how we did things with school and conducted ourselves off the ice. And, and uh, um, near the end of my time here, the, the ownership kind of changed. They brought in some different people that wanted to be more involved and thought they should have a say in, you know, what type of players we were going to draft and everything, which obviously led to my demise. But um, end of the day, it is a huge responsibility. And, and I can't say over over the 17 years as a general manager or 30 years in Peterborough, we didn't have some kids with issues, whether it's alcohol. Um, that was primarily the biggest concern because, you know, you, it, it's the drinking age here is 19. So if some of these 16 year olds look 19 and alcohol was something that they could get. And uh, that was usually my biggest concern. Um, secondly, you worried a lot about girls and you know how they how they conducted themselves with girls. Not that there's never a problem. We used to tell them, hey, nothing wrong with having a girlfriend. But you know, first of all, if it takes away your focus, it's an issue. Or secondly, if you're not respectful, <laughs> it'll be an issue. Um, so those were most of the concerning things. Now I think, you know, near the end of my time as a general manager, there there, there became uh, drug testing that the league did. So you know you had to be careful that you know kids weren't weren't getting into anything they shouldn't. Sometimes they did it unknowingly you know they would consume something you know they didn't know had stuff in it that was prohibited so those were innocent mistakes I think something like marijuana is easily accessible now too so you know whether kids got into that I didn't see it much when I was a general manager I think it might be more prevalent now in society in general um, it doesn't make it right or wrong but um, I, I didn't see a lot of that we were we were lucky in Peterborough we had a lot of really good hard committed kids and if you didn't buy in, we generally moved you, you know, like uh, there were certain ex expectations we had and, and we would try and you know, make sure kids understood what the expectations were. And if they didn't want to buy in, then I figured out pretty early, you weren't going to win with these guys. So we just generally moved them on. So does the coach talk to them or do you also have to call in as players? Meaning how many kids over the years did you have to kind of call in the office and say, hey, look, here's where this is going. You don't want to go there you need to do this or, you know, we're going to have to move you or whatever. Yeah. Oh, many times. And a lot of times it was about school, you know, and, and I would say to the kids, listen, like I'm getting complaints from the school. And one thing I'll tell you right now, the school's always right. <laughs> like there's no debate here and either you change or, you know, you're going to have to go home till you, till you get things fixed. So, um, so yeah, over the years, some kids were sent home just until they figured things out. Um, I had one kid that I sent to, uh, um, for alcohol counseling because I thought he had a problem with it and he didn't think he did but by the end of it you know he thanked me because <laughs> he realized he did um, but to answer your question I, I historically would would leave the off-ice rules kind of to the coach as long as he understood what kind of parameters I wanted and uh, so he would set the turn the, the, the um, tone on curfews and things but you know, as I got older, I learned, I, I went to Oshawa and, and one of the things we talked to the team about was, listen, like, I, I don't want to, part of playing junior hockey is having fun. You should have fun. You're a kid. You know, you can't be all serious, all business all the time. The key is to pick your spot and to know when to do it 
and to know when not to do it and how to do it, not get into trouble. So I said, we're going to give you guys some slack here in Oshawa. Um, I'm going to treat you like men. But if you make me realize quickly, I got to treat you like boys, then I'm going to lock it down and you're not going to have any fun. So those kids were really mature. They would come in, you know, at the start of the week. Okay, what are curfews? And, and we would set an agreeable curfew and we'd say, listen, if it's say it's an off night, we give you to one in the morning or whatever, 11, whatever it is, it doesn't mean 1110. And uh, it doesn't mean 110. And the other thing I want you to understand, you got to trust me. So if I say now's not a good time, then you got to say, okay, it's not going to be because I realize he's going to let us do it when it is a good time. But we would educate them too, again, on alcohol, you know, on drugs, um, on girls, you know, how to not get into trouble, be respectful, um, all those things. So we tried to set the tone so that they would know how to have fun without putting themselves in any kind of jeopardy. And uh, I'm really proud of those kids, those two years in Oshawa, we didn't have any issues. And, uh, you know, they respected what we wanted to do. And they had fun because if you don't have fun, you know, there's no need for you to want the season to keep going. Like it's, this isn't fun anyway. So if we get beat out, we get beat out. But if you're liking it and you like your teammates, the environment's positive. There's, and, and I do believe players want parameters. They want to know what, what the rules are and they want to know that they're going to be enforced. And if you do that, then they're going to respect it, but you have to have fun. You know, any, <sighs> any team I ever had that won a championship, those kids had fun, but they knew when to do it and uh and how to do it so because hey you're only a teenager once so you know the <laughs> junior hockey comes with enough responsibility that you should be allowed to have fun again when the time is right and in the right manner and so just speaking about your time as a gm with the peterborough Pete's, when you had to split your workload as you know doing all the business transactions but also even dealing with the players and, and other business things um did you have to spend like 50-50? I mean, all the player transactions and trades and then the rest of the business. I mean, how did you, how were you able to balance that out without feeling like you're putting too much priority into one thing instead of the other? Yeah, did, I, would, I would delegate more of the business than I would the hockey part. So, you know, we kind of, we'd have a meeting every Monday with the business people. We only had a small staff too, but, you know, I want to know where the season ticket sales are at. Where's the advertising at? Okay, you know, you got the rest of the week, you know, get at it. I'll be spending every day on hockey. Um, you know, we, I, I used to go to them and say, okay, what's the marketing strategy? Like, what, what are we going to, how are we going to sell it? And uh, if they didn't come up with something, I would, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, just because I, I, I always kind of thought I, I had a bit of a feel for how to sell it, but uh, um, you, you got to let people do their job. So I was not as involved in the business as I was in the hockey part, because obviously that was more of my expertise, but I still had to oversee it and make sure that people that were in those positions were doing their job. So before we move on to your time uh, in Arizona uh, organization, uh, one last thing here with the Peterborough. So, you know, you, you win a championship in like 95, 96, and again in what, 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. When you win that, obviously you celebrate, everybody's happy. Uh, but is the next season more stressful or you're like, Hey, I want to, we won a championship. We're going to do the best we can, but the pressure's off or is the pressure on even more? Well, it's even more. And uh, when I first took over as general manager and you guys got your facts pretty well, right. But I was part of four OHL championships and I don't, I don't know why everybody says three, but it's four. Nick prospects is that, has that you at three. Yeah, so. but it's four. Um, cool. 89, 
93, 96, 96. Yeah, they're missing 93. Yep. So in 93, I was the assistant coach, assistant general manager, and that's when Dick Todd left. And we had kind of leveraged our future a bit to try and win that year. And we, we, we won the OHL championship, lost in the Memorial Cup uh, final. But after that season was over, we lost Chris Pronger, uh, Corey Stillman. We lost almost everybody. And now I'm the general manager. So I'm looking at the roster and I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, so we had just won. Uh, and within a month, I think, of the season starting in Peterborough, uh, my first as general manager, we had a new coach by the name of Dave McQueen, who was a, a really good coach, but he was learning. Within a month, and I still have it, I got a uh, petition from the fans uh, wanting me and the coach fired. And <laughs> this was <laughs> probably five months <laughs> since we just went to the Memorial cup and I had nothing, <laughs> you know, like I lost, I lost pretty well everything. And, and uh, so I still have it and I still know the names that are on that thing. Um, <laughs> and then thankfully three years later, we, we won again in 96, but uh, no, in, in this city, especially back then it's different now, but you know, back then there was uh, there's a TV station here. There was basically four radio stations, two AM, two FM, uh, two newspapers at the time. So the coverage was intense and uh, um, there's a lot of negativity if you're not right. And sometimes even if you're on top, I mean, in 96, we, we uh, uh, or 06, I guess, 2006, we won. We had the best season in the history of the franchise. We won in the finals four straight, beat London Knights. And I was I was downtown, you know, with my wife after and a couple of friends were just having a couple of beers and celebrating. And some guy starts screaming at me that it was a long 10 years between championships, you know, and there's teams that are in this league that have never won. And we were the only team that did it twice in that 10 year period, I think. And uh, so I got some guys screaming at me after just winning four straight. So, you know, you have to have thick skin if you're going to be in this business, especially in Peterborough. Andrew, you're going to ask some Arizona uh, scouting questions, but before you do, uh, I'm a big Roger Nielsen fan yeah. and was never a Ranger fan, but a big Roger Nielsen fan. Uh, can you give a, a listeners a one good Roger story? Well, I could, I could write a book on him, James. I was so lucky. I, I started at his hockey school at, at 17. I think it was when he started it, it was brand new. And, and so I worked, there right up to the end, I was, uh, I was a head instructor and spent a, a lot of time with Roger and learned so much. Um, one of the kindest, best people I ever met, like the most generous, cared about people. Um, I've told this story before, but I think it speaks to Roger. He has a, or well, he had a beautiful place on the lake here and people used to go out there all the time, you know, and Elon Roger was always feeding them and everything. And so when I first got married, we bought a little bungalow and we had no furniture, but my, my wife says, you know, we should have Roger over here for dinner, show him the house. So Roger comes over for dinner and he's looking around and he says, where's your furniture? So I, I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any money. I don't, I got to cost me enough just to buy the house. So he didn't say anything. And the next day he showed up in his truck with a trailer on the back full of furniture that oh, he wasn't wow. using. And uh, all of a sudden I had furniture. Um, but, but that was him. And, and he, he was probably one of the foremost hockey minds ever, but would share information with anybody. And, you know, he would share it. And we were so fortunate because in between jobs, Roger, he, he lived here in Peterborough. He would always come with us. If he wasn't working, he would come with the Peterborough Peets and be on the ice and practice. He'd go to games with us. And uh, 
just just uh, he influenced me probably more than anybody in hockey and 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 I'm one of many people he influenced but just uh, just the hockey world lost a very special man and and I was fortunate I went he, I was one of the people he invited when he was in, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and my wife and I went and uh, that was pretty special we did it with Chris Pronger as well so that's pretty special when you get to to share yeah. that with these guys but but Roger just a unbelievable person and great sense of humor cared about people um that like i said he influenced me a lot primarily on how he cared about people nice so you after uh, i hope i'm getting now the my facts right at the yeah. elite prospects is <laughs> oh, you guys everything off. <laughs> so you spent 17 years as general manager and then you became a scout for the Arizona Coyotes. So what, what was the, was there anything eye-opening or any huge differences between being a scout? I mean, I know it's obviously different from leagues as well, but just with the times, I mean, what were the main differences when you became a scout again? Yeah, it was, there was a lot of differences. And, and all my years in junior, I was a little bit arrogant. You know, I thought scouting in the NHL is easy because you just go to one game a day, maybe two. Whereas in junior, you could be at a tournament for, you know, 12, 14 hours a day watching kids all day freezing. You know, I said, anybody can do one or two games. But but when you when you get into it, um, it was different, like because I had to start going to places I'd never been into the Quebec League, into the Western Hockey League, into the USHL, into Europe, you know, and and then you got to meld all these kids together. So I got humbled pretty quickly. And uh, even just trying to figure out how to, how to do your schedule. So if you were out West, like how far away were certain cities? Could you get to a game here today and another one tomorrow somewhere else? How to, how to make it work? So um, it, it, it was humbling. It took me probably a year to get a good feel for, you know, how to do it. And uh, obviously the stakes are real high there. And, uh, you know, you can't, draft and develop is so crucial at the NHL level you know there's so much more pressure on you to to not screw up and obviously sometimes you're going to but you got to dig in you got to know these guys so it, it was it was humbling I I was really fortunate I I uh, after 30 years in Peterborough they they fired me in in five minutes <laughs> they, and then I was so lucky I didn't know what I was going to do and Don Maloney was was running the Coyotes at the time and offered to you know, bring me in there so it was good I learned uh uh, Keith Gretzky was the head scout at the time and very experienced. He's uh, he's the assistant GM in Edmonton now, but Keith has a really good, you know, idea how to scout. And I learned a lot from him. And then um, so I got better as it went. But uh, yeah, it was I thought I knew everything about scouting. And then I found out pretty quickly the NHL is a different animal than the OHL. Yeah. And so I know that my father kind of asked this earlier as far as the schedule and how, you know, you went about your scouting back in the OHL days, but was it kind of similar to the NHL? I mean, I always think of scouts as pretty much like freelance workers. I mean, that's how you'd be based on your performance, right? You go out and try and find the, yep. the next, you know, talented player. So um, was it kind of the same at the NHL? Did you have to kind of sit down and go, I got to travel here and there, or is the, was the team kind of like this week you're going to Europe this week you're going to USHL. I mean, how did that work? Yeah, for the most part, I could I could do my own schedule. Um, there were certain events or certain times they'd come back to me and say, hey, we saw your schedule. We prefer you go here, you know, rather than this. Or, you know, I see you're in Ontario this week, but, you know, we would like you to go out west because there's certain guys there we'd like you to see. Or, you know, keep keep this part of your schedule free because there's a tournament in Europe we want you to go to. So, um, you know, and, and when you hadn't done it before, when you first go to Europe, I mean, it's hard because the time change and 
you're trying to adjust to it and you got to work and and after you've done it a few times it gets easier um but i mean i didn't have to worry about time changes too often in junior hockey but uh up there you do and and you know you go into the western league i i didn't know a lot of people i knew some but you got to try and make new contacts and build your network again so um yeah, it was a combination, Andrew, I guess, to answer your question, I could do my schedule, but uh, sometimes they would come back and just ask me to change it and, and go in a different direction, which was was all good. So to follow that up, then, um, how far did you, I guess, have to plan out your schedule for them to have to come and say, hey, change this this week? Or I mean, was it monthly or? Usually, you're, yeah, usually they wanted you to do a month in advance so they could review it. And then, uh, um you know, just to make sure they knew where you were going. And, and like I said, for the most part, they, they didn't interfere, but there were certain times that I, maybe there's certain players that I wasn't aware of that they wanted to find out more about. So they'd say, Hey, go to, you know, Drummondville, Quebec or something rather than um, Kingston say. So, so, and that's what makes the, at the NHL level, that's what makes scouting work is communication so that, you know, the, the staffs communicate among themselves and among the director of scouting that that's the key. And, uh, you know, there was, there was good communication there, but that, again, it was a learning experience for sure. So you, you go on to be GM at, at Oshawa for two years, and then you're back in Arizona, but this time you're director of amateur scouting. So what is actually the amateur part? Is it just being juniors or are you tackling a pro league like the, you know, USHL or, uh, even the East coast league? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know where, um, um, elite prospects or whatever gets your information. So it's not oh. your guy's fault, but, but I was the assistant director of okay. scouting. So a guy by the name of Tim Bernhardt was a director. And again, maybe one of the best scouting minds that I've ever met. I've known Tim for a long time. So he was in charge. I was his assistant. Um, so we, you know, we did a lot together, but uh, when you say amateur scouting, uh, you're referring to anybody that could be eligible for the NHL draft. So, that's Europe, that's, you know, the USHL, that's the OHL, the Quebec League, college hockey, um, wherever there's eligible players, we had to go. So that opened up, you know, again, I was kind of second in charge. So I had to know all of the top end players. So, you know, you're traveling to Europe much more, you know, you're, you're watching guys in Sweden that our Swedish guy loved or guys in Finland that our guy we had in Finland was promoting. You're going to Russia, you're going to places that, you know, great way to see the world, but it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's not easy. So I have a question. So we're musicians at, you know, as our day job. So right. usually when we go and watch maybe other bands or if it's like, you know, a band that we think is trying to do something extra musically, we'll judge them. So as a former GM now, do you watch some of these GMs make certain uh, moves, especially during free agency or trades? And you kind of, you sit there on the couch going, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Or yeah, that was a good deal. Yeah, it goes to your mind. I, I've been directly involved in it and, and I'm also a fan, you know, so I do, I watch what guys do. Like I, I I'm still, I mean, listen, I, I'm no spring chicken, but I'm still trying to learn. And, you know, I watch some of these moves that, that sometimes these GMs make and, I, and when they make them, I'm like, I wouldn't do that, you know? Uh, and then, then you, you kind of watch, you say, Oh, okay. Now I see why he did it. That's a good move. So, so yeah, I'm constantly watching you know, and, and, and trying to get better and, and learn. Um, but again, I'm a fan, you know, so I, I like watching. I like seeing what happens for free agency. I like watching the draft teams move up, move down. I've been there. I understand it, you know, but I also know it's easy from the outside to be critical. You don't know all the stuff that goes on kind of behind the scenes. 
So I've kind of learned that, you know, hey, have an open mind here because I'm sure some of the moves we made, people were critical of because they didn't understand why we would do it. What 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 went on and caused us to do those those moves? So I know that elite prospects kind of ruined some of my future questions. You're never going to use elite prospects Probably ever again. Never again. No, well, I'm going to email them after this. So you weren't the director of Amateur Scouting, but you were assistant director. So. I assume you probably would have some similar uh, maybe admin roles. So um, just compared to as a scout, I mean, when you were just a scout for the Arizona Coyotes, what was the different um, job roles that you had? Well, again, the difference was primarily that I had to see all the high-end guys. Like, so if you're a guy just covering the Western Hockey League, for instance, that's your area, right? Or if it's just on, that's your area. But, you know, I had to see the high-end guys. So I had to know guys in Russia or guys in Sweden, um, and we were really lucky. We had a great staff. So there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, I don't know if mentoring is the right word or overseeing. They knew what they were doing. So we would always look at their schedules. And we, there was very rarely that Tim Bernhardt, you know, or myself even had to, had to get involved. It was an older staff that we had with us. They understood how to do it. They were very good at it. And uh, it made our job easier. But the hard part was, again, the world was, like that's where we were looking at the players. You know, I wasn't just restricted to Ontario or it was the world. And, uh, you know, you're in places, you're in remote Finland or you're, you know, you're remote Russia. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy on your body. How hard is it to kind of manage all of the scouts? You know, I mean, a lot of the scouts at the NHL are, I'm assuming I'm going on just my recollection you know former coaches former players you know you got uh, some guys that are highly respected like atomic b and he's uh you know making some recommendations and you know you might not agree with it does he just kind of file the report say what he thinks and leave it alone does sometimes he's like hey why aren't you listen to me you know i mean i'm sure there's there's a lot of respect there that you'd have yeah. to there has to be, you have to respect your people. And, and we always had, we respected people in their area. So for instance, if uh, uh, we had a guy in the Western hockey league, he had seen a guy in the West 10 times and just loved this guy. And we had gone in and maybe seen him twice and we didn't see it, but we had enough respect for our guy that, you know, you can't, you can't say we've seen him twice. So we know better than you who've seen him 10 times. So we, we would respect our people. And uh, I learned when I first left, the coyotes. Um, I, I spent a lot of time with analytics people kind of picking their brains. And uh, I, because I, I was kind of curious as to whether someone like myself, who's kind of old school, if there was still a place for in hockey in the analytic world. And the one of the most people that I respect the most in analytics is a guy by the name of Cam Lawrence. And he said to me, as much as analytics is important, he said, if, if somebody is pounding the table aggressively wanting a player passionately wanting them you have to listen you know when there's that much passion you have to listen so we always listened we always respected the area guys I mean there was times when you're sitting at the draft and and you know there might have been a guy in the seventh round for instance and and like well I'll give you an example we drafted a goalie uh in the seventh round a couple years ago in Arizona named David Tendek and uh our western scout a guy by the name of Glenn Zacharias was pounding the table and we hadn't seen him uh, because he just wasn't a real priority leading up to the draft. We took him in the seventh round and the Coyotes signed him. So when you get a seventh round pick that gets signed, that's pretty significant, you know? And, and again, that was 
us being smart enough to listen to a guy that knew him well and, and knew him probably better than we did, you know? So uh, that's part of it. You can't, you can't be in charge of scouting and think you've got it all figured out. You, you have to have good people with you and you have to trust them and listen to them. And uh, I mean, you can't always agree with them, but if you have trust in them and they know their areas as they should, then you have to listen. So part of your story that I didn't want to skip over, I wanted to make sure to ask this question. So originally when you were a scout with Arizona, you had left for the opportunity to become general manager of the Oshawa Generals. And when you had left it, you, they had said, if you ever wanted to come back, you would have a job and everything. So after two years, you came back, but then you got a promotion essentially when you came back. So how did that kind of work out? I've never heard of anybody quitting a job for another one and coming back and getting an even better position. Well, he was good at what he did. No, you got, I got lucky. It doesn't happen, you know, and I, it was Don Maloney again in Arizona and he gave me permission to talk to the Oshawa generals. They had approached me and I, I wouldn't talk to them without Don's permission. And he said, yeah, go ahead and talk to them. And, and I went back to him and I said, you know, Don, I didn't like how it ended in Peterborough for me. And I, I think I want to go back and finish this, you know, right. And, and uh, Oshawa is only 45 minutes from, from Peterborough where I live. And uh, so he said to me, he's like, yeah, go, go do it. And he said, but if it doesn't work out, you can always come back. So I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's a nice safety net. You don't normally get it. And uh, I think maybe you guys are aware, but Peter DeBoer, who coaches Las Vegas Knights, uh, he was one of the owners of the Generals at the time and Adam uh, Graves as well. They were the ones that kind of went off, kind of recruited me to go back there. And there was a third owner by the name of Rocco Tulio. And after my first year, both uh, Adam and, and Pete kind of divested themselves quite a bit of, of the team and Rocco was in charge, had primary ownership and uh, he just had some different ideas than me and how it should run. And, and I uh, went back to Don and just said, I don't think this is going to work out. And he said, great, come on back and I'll, I'll give you a promotion. <laughs> All right then. So, so yeah, it was luck. And I was just so fortunate. Don Maloney is such a good person and somebody that I have so much respect for and was good, very good to me. So I, I was very fortunate to have that safety net to go back. And I was much more prepared when I went back the second time I was, I was much more prepared and I was there for another five years and uh, just, just loved it there. I, you know, I love the, I love Arizona, um, love being part of the coyotes. And then, you know, they made some changes there that didn't kind of fit my philosophies again. And uh, it was 2018. I just decided I can't, I can't be part of this and uh, walked away, which ethically was the right decision from a business perspective. Probably not because when you walk away, they don't pay you, <laughs> you know? but, but ethically it was the right thing for me to do because I just didn't, again, they had a right to do things the way they wanted to do it, but the way I wanted to do, like, it just, it just didn't mesh. And uh, I knew it wasn't going to mesh. And uh, Don Maloney had left, he'd been gone for a couple of years and I just, I walked away and, spent a lot of time trying to get better and learn more about analytics. And uh, so that's, that's how that all transpired. So just to talk some general hockey talk, uh, the USHL uh, from a fan's perspective was kind of a, I don't want to say joke league because I mean, I don't want to disrespect the players, uh, but it seems like over the last 10 years or so starting to be a formidable league. A lot of good players have come from the USHL. Uh, Has that been your experience with that league? Yeah, it, it's a good league. It, it's just getting better and better. They're getting some, some Europeans in there. They're, they're bringing some more Canadians in there. Um, you know, Canadians that, that 
may not want to play major junior up here because they want to get a scholarship. So they're going down there. So it's a very good league. And those fans are passionate. I mean, I, I've been to pretty well all those rinks in the USHL and you go to, you know, Iowa or, or yeah. places like that. I mean, those fans are passionate, you know, and, yeah. and I love going into those buildings because they got to sell the game and you learn a lot of marketing things when you're watching those games, but, but the hockey is good. The buildings are good. It's, it's a very good league. Obviously the, the U S uh, development team, both teams play in that league too, because they, they recognize that that's a good league for those kids to play. And so uh, it, answer the question. It's, it's a very well-respected good league. And you could see this year, part of it may have been COVID related because, you know, the, the Canadian hockey league didn't play a lot of games and the USHL did, and they had a lot of players drafted this year. They, they might've anyways, but I think COVID kind of helped them because they were playing and scouts could see those kids. So that, that, that league and the people that run it deserve a lot of credit. And put on a GM hat here, uh, Andrew, you know a little bit more about this as well. Um, kind of an interesting situation with Montreal. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you ask the question? We, we just talked about it before we came on. Yes, yeah, so they're, they're 31st round pick. And um, with all that happening, I mean, what, what kind of goes through a, a general manager's, you know, mind through all that as well? well I mean, and for the listeners, the kid who, who was – going to be drafted said don't draft me because I got you know a little bit of trouble right. with this and that when he was a minor and a girl minor whatever but uh, Montreal 31st overall drafted him anyways yep so yeah what what's kind of your thoughts on that well again it's easy to be critical because you know I think initially that's your first reaction um, I felt bad for the player because he didn't ask for this I mean Montreal's the, one of the hockey media capitals like he didn't ask for this um uh, and having said that you can't you can't forget about the the woman that was victimized in sweden or wherever it was too i mean there's a victim here uh there's a player that made a terrible mistake um i don't know what led up to it i had said going into it there's no way that anybody will draft this kid because it had happened the year before when arizona took a player and uh it was the same thing there was tremendous off ice issues and it got to the, the firestorm led to the coyotes renouncing his rights and just oh, walked that's right him. last year yeah the the kid lost his, his scholarship at north dakota and and uh, was basically out of hockey now having gone through that once i never thought it would happen a second time i'm a big fan of mark bergevin I, I don't really pretend to know what went into it why they decided to do it anyways um i Personally, I'm not sure it was worth the firestorm that came with it. Um, but again, I don't know what, what led up to it. I, I think I think it all the, the, the whole thing would have been better if nobody had to touch the kid. And I give the kid credit, Logan Mayu, that he recognized he made a mistake and asked not to be drafted. He felt that he needed another year to, to improve himself and, and to kind of show that he was worthy of being drafted. Um, so I, I give him a lot of credit. Now, obviously, he was directed and coached, but but still, to take yourself out of the draft and ask not to be draft, that's very significant. Um, and then when he was drafted anyways, it put him right in the crosshairs of the media, uh, a lot of social activists, obviously, and it put the Canadians in a, in a very tough spot. So hopefully it works out. Um, my Again, my initial reaction was was really disappointed because I'm a Canadians fan, but I got a temperate because I don't pretend to know what went into making that decision. Right. Um, 
but initially, whew, I was shocked. I did not think that would happen. Yeah, so with the firestorm that obviously came about it, like you were talking about, um, do you think that uh, maybe at, th- at some point Bettman goes and says something uh, to the GM of Montreal, or is it kind of like oh, yeah. just not being said about? Because a lot of people are asking about that, and if Bettman would come out and say anything, because obviously um, after Montreal drafted the kid, I mean, minutes later on all their social media accounts, they already had a message ready sure. for it. So it was obviously they knew what they were getting themselves into. But I'm curious if Bettman would step into this at all, and maybe even just make a statement, but it looks like he's not. I'm sure he's had communications with the Canadians. Um, there's a lot of talk now that to prevent this in the future, there's no mechanism in place for a kid to actually take himself out of the draft. You can say you don't want to be drafted, but they'll still take you. They have their ability to. So there's a lot of talk now that they got to be more like basketball and baseball where certain players do take themselves out. Um, I heard today about a, there was in the baseball, recent baseball draft, there was a, a player that was, touted to go first, second round, and for whatever reason, asked Major League Baseball to remove him from the eligible list. And uh, so he became ineligible. Um, That's certainly something that has to be looked at. Because again, in fairness to the player, what he did was wrong. You you can't justify it. But he did ask not to be drafted. (laughs) He didn't ask for this. You know, he he was trying to avoid it. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Toronto or uh, Montreal have made a commitment to work with him. And uh, I think there's, there's some honor in that. They're going to try and help them. Um, but it, 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 it was su- surprising and at the time somewhat disappointing. But I do, I do have a lot of faith in Mark Bergevin. So hopefully this all works out for everybody, including the victim. You can't, you can't lose sight of the fact there's a victim here too, uh, a, a young girl in, in Sweden or wherever he was playing. So that, that can't be forgotten either. Correct, correct. So question, uh, fan base question in general Dealing with, uh, I mean, now the NHL, even the AHL is dealing with a lot of money, dealing with agents. You know, the, the GM's got to deal with a lot of agents. Um, what is it like to actually deal with agents? Um, you know, I heard horror stories. You got the old, from the 70s, the Eagle Sands, you know, type um, Jerry Maguire is my only thing. You know, the movie Jerry Maguire. What is it? How do you deal with agents? What do GMs have? And what is the communication like? Is it like a lawyer? You send a letter, they send a letter back. I mean, what, what junior in junior, the relationships with the, with the agents are kind of crucial because they can control the kids have options. Obviously they, they can, they can play NCAA hockey or they can play in the OHL. So having relationships with agents in junior is very important. Um, I used to like to think I could establish good relationships with credible agents, the ones that weren't so credible, I, I didn't waste my time with. Um, but I always felt that if you did a good job and you looked after players in junior, that, the, that the, the agents generally would respect you and allow their kids to go there because they don't want to deal with a lot of crap in junior. These are kids. They're not making any money. They don't want to, if the kids are looked after and you're fair and you're honest and you, you, you care about the kids, generally the agents are, are pretty good. Um, where it becomes annoying in junior, especially as they try and influence the draft, you know, they, they'll come to you and say, okay, you're picking five or six, who are you taking? You know, here, here's who the top four or five. I know I've done my homework. Here's the top four or five. Who are you taking? And I would say, well, why would I tell you? Cause you're just going to go and tell number seven, you're going to make his job easier. Like why? Like <laughs> I would never do that. Um, in the NHL, I didn't have to deal with them too often, but I think they're, 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 those, 
relationships can be tenuous because you're talking a lot of money and, and, you know, you're, you're negotiating and you're negotiating hard. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes players have to go to arbitration and, and when you're in arbitration, you're, you're telling everybody why this player isn't worth the money. So you create animosity. So, um, at the end of the day, it's business at, at the NHL level. Um, the good agents understand it. You know, they, they're the ones that maintain relationships. They get it. Uh, some of the ones maybe that aren't so credible, they take things personally and um, you probably don't want to deal with them anyways. So, so surprisingly though, in junior, you do deal with them a lot and those relationships are very important in junior. Yeah. So I'm always curious too. I mean, you see on Twitter and from these insiders, you know, uh, a GM kicking tires on a certain player. And I may, I don't know how uh, much you can relate to that at the OHL level, just given the the different um, levels there, but you know, what, what is those conversations like kicking the tires about a player? I mean, is it a GM call another GM just saying, Hey, how's your day going? Yeah. By the way, I am interested in so-and-so. So what, what would that even take? I mean, so what, what are those casual conversations like yeah you know that's that's one of the things that's important whether you're in junior or in the nhl is you 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 gotta you gotta be communicating all the time with the other gms you gotta know kind of have or you gotta have a feel for what's going on and you know sometimes just through those conversations something happens that you didn't even think you know you might you might catch a general manager in a moment of weakness he's like i've had enough of this guy i'm gonna move him and you're like well i'll take him (laughs) you know And, and if you didn't make that call you wouldn't know, but, but they're, they're calling each other all the time. And uh, you know, and, and I think there's certain players um, from what I understand in Florida, what I saw like Bill Zito, the GM, he was talking to Buffalo for months and months um, about Sam Reinhart, you know, so Mm -hmm. that those were, he, he had identified him. It looks like from what, you know, you read as a guy that they really wanted and zeroed in on him. And it was a long process to get it done, but he stayed on it. And uh, so sometimes the, the calls are, there's a purpose to them. Sometimes there's no purpose. You're just calling and, and things fall into your lap. And sometimes you're just talking about families, nothing, nothing comes out of it, but, but you have to pick the phone up. You have to talk to guys, you know, you have to stay in the loop as best you can. And uh, it's time consuming, but you have to do it. So do you ever get in a position where you GM and the draft's coming up and you've got your, your list and, you know, you end up, you know, that in the first round of your, your lowest pick in the first round is that's who you end up with. And you get a bunch of, you know, shit from the fans or whatever. And, you know, if you ever just wanted to scream, maybe like, look, you know, I don't want to, I wanted this guy, I wanted this guy, this guy, (laughs) you know, but you can't, you got to be like, Hey, this is, you know, we believe in this kid, but in reality, you're like, yeah, well, we, we're not happy either, but what do you want me to do? I'll give you a couple examples in junior James. You'll like this. So, uh, Corey Perry is from Peterborough here. And uh, so naturally when he was in the draft, he was a player we really wanted, but he went, I think, six overall to, to London. So as his career starts to move forward, um, I start to get emails on, you know, criticizing me for not drafting him. And then I would respond back and say, you realize he was gone before I could draft him. <laughs> then they would, they would respond and say, well, listen, you stupid idiot, you should have moved up. I'm like, then I'd respond, you realize in junior hockey, you can't trade up. Right. (laughs) So so anyways, I dealt with that. And then, you know, who I took a a lot of heat for too, surprisingly, we're both, uh, I I had uh, Eric Stahl here and I had Jordan Stahl and both of them came with a lot of heat. We we drafted Eric and uh, 
Eric was just a scrawny little kid. I mean, he was 5'11", 145 pounds. Like there, and nobody knew the stall lineage or the history. And people looked at him like, that's the dumbest pick, you know, I've ever seen. Like, you know, and then, and I was like, man, like I, I thought he was a good player, you know, and and he came to camp and, you know, he was, I was watching him. I was like, oh man, this guy's going to be good. But he was just a scrawny little kid. And, and uh, I remember the media here, they were asking me and I'd be talking about him and I'd turn it back on them. And I'd say, well, what do you think of him? They were like, yeah, I don't know. I don't see much. I'm like, how can you not see how good this guy's going to be? So anyways, Eric, Eric panned out to be an exceptional player. And, and uh, obviously, and then three or four years later, we drafted his brother, Jordan. And I got heat again. Oh, you're only drafting him because he's a stall. You know, <laughs> the only reason you're only drafting him because he's Eric's brother. I was like, you realize I'm picking him third overall. Like I don't do favors at number three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, then the problem with Jordan was he was too good. He left after two years. He was a second overall pick and went to Pittsburgh. And, you know, after two years he was gone, but, uh, fans are fickle so I got it in a situation with Corey Perry where no matter what I did I couldn't have drafted him and I still took heat and <laughs> both Stahl brothers came with uh with a lot of heat too although there's a lot of experts in town here and and you know you know another guy too like Chris Pronger when he first came here I remember people come to me and they're like I don't see all the hype like he's a just a tall skinny like I don't see the hype I'm like well good thing you're not scouting because uh, <laughs> You know, Chris was a very special player, obviously. So anyways, the fans are passionate and, and you appreciate that. But uh, as I said, I mean, start, you got to have you got to have thick skin. Do you just do you just like go through drive through restaurants more than uh, than normal because you just don't want to deal with <laughs> stupidity? I mean, like, yeah, you know, yeah. In this town, like, yeah, when I was a general manager, I was pretty well known. So I had to be careful, like, you know, obviously, I remember one time I was meeting uh, my wife and friends. I was coming home from a, from a game and uh, I got to this restaurant a little early. So I just ordered a beer, you know, and, and I was waiting for them. I'm thinking somebody's going to go out and say, Jeff too, is just sitting in a bar pounding beers all night. You know, I'm, I'm having one beer. I'm waiting for my wife and my friends. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so, you know, I didn't think of it at the time, but then when you get in there, it's like, Oh yeah, he's just, he's sitting there drinking alone. <laughs> you know? So Anyways, and we used to tell the players that, like, just be careful because people know who you are. And when players come into junior, they're not used to that. They're used to being somewhat anonymous and they don't realize when you play here in Peterborough, if you're in a restaurant or bar and you don't conduct yourself properly, someone will notice. So, And so all, obviously all of us fans, including myself, we all love being armchair GMs. We all think we know everything <laughs> and we watch it from our screen at home and we're like, yep, we're hockey experts, but... <laughs> Has there ever been a time where maybe somebody, I mean, even as, a, you know, the system director of amateur scouting or even as a general manager, was there ever a fan, maybe it was through social media, maybe it's through a letter, an email, that maybe they, they had made a point or broke something down of maybe why you should have done this or that, and you actually read it and you went, kind of a good point, or was it always kind of like, Dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, no, no, no. You know, I, I always respected people that that took the time to give me their opinion if they did <laughs> it successfully. And I remember we had a kid, Steve Downey, uh, who played in the NHL. And yep, yep. <laughs> we were rebuilding and, and I had to trade Steve. And he was a he was a fan favorite here. And I remember yep. there was a guy who wrote me a letter, season ticket holder, very critical of because it was out there <laughs> that we were gonna move Steve. 
So I said to him, I said, well, next time you're at a game, why don't you come and see me? So he came into my office and he's like, this is the dumbest thing you're going to do. And I'm like, I said, okay, fair enough. I understand what you think, but here's, here's my thinking. I said, I think, you know, we're not, we're not ready to win. We won last year, this year we're rebuilding. We're not going to win. I'm trying to win and I've got to recoup a lot of what I gave up for him. And the demand is huge for this guy. And I'm trying to build long-term here. And I remember the guy looked at me and says, okay, that makes some sense to me. He goes, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And I said, well, you were respectful, you know, and how you were voicing your opinion. You're a season ticket holder. You care about the team. Why wouldn't I make time for you? You know? So the other ones that are just, you know, I would ignore most of the ones that, you know, weren't, were rude or, you know, demeaning or whatever. It's like, yeah, whatever. But if you take the time, hey, you're a fan. So we got to appreciate that. You're important to us. Sure. Sure. And, you know, and I, you know, and I'm sure the players, everybody has to have thick skin, but, you know, I'm kind of amazed now that you kind of brought that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't on our list to ask you, uh, but uh, I've been um, um, pen pals with John Tortorella for about 12 years now. I send him a letter once a year, maybe twice a year. And uh, he actually responds. Yep. And, uh, you know, in my experience, been great guy. And, and uh, but my letters are always more supportive. And I remember first couple times he responded to me before we got to, he remembered who I was. He would be like, you know, I never receive letters that are positive. It's always, you're a bum, you did this, I want you, how could you do this, this or this or that. So I guess uh, fans maybe need to be a little bit more positive when things are going well, except for when things are going wrong, they become well, negative. They've got a right to be, to be, you know, I, I guess by definition, as a fan, you live and die with your team and somebody has to be the scapegoat when you're struggling. So generally it's the person in charge, which is the general manager. But, uh, you know, on, on that, uh, James, one, one of the neatest things, I, I, I don't pretend to be best friends with, with Lou Lamorello. Um, but Lou Lamorello is an incredible person. And uh, when the draft was in New Jersey, um, Dougie Gilmore, obviously a Hall of Fame player, was uh, running the Kingston Frontenacs at the time. And I was having breakfast with him and he, he took a phone call and he, he put his phone down and he said, hey, that was, that was Lou Lamorello. And he said, I'd asked him if, if I could see the Prudential Center in New Jersey. I'd just never seen it. I played for him, but I played at, at, at uh, the Meadowlands or whatever the rink was called. So he said, Lou's going to give me a tour. Do you want to, would you like to come? I said, hell yeah. Like Lou Lamorello's going to give Doug Gilmore a tour and I can tag along. <laughs> so I, cause I, so I went and Lou, Lou gave us a tour top to bottom. So at the end, you know, I thanked him obviously. And when I went home, I'm like, man, that, that was a day before the draft. And for him to do that, that was incredible. So I, I sent him a thank you note. I just said, Hey, you know, Mr. Lamorello, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. It meant a lot. And, uh, Two weeks later, he sent me a card thanking me for sending him a card. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I guess it doesn't it 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 doesn't uh, cost anything to just be be appreciative and and uh, let people know. And so he appreciated that. And I, I've just never forgotten that. So, uh, you know, the good ones in the NHL, I'll, I'll give you just if, if you have a minute, I'll tell you another sure. story about a quality, quality individual. When I was in Oshawa, we had Scott Lawton who was a first round pick of the Philadelphia Flyers. And generally when these guys go to camp, uh, you don't hear from the NHL team until maybe the day before they're coming home, somebody calls you from the organization and says, hey, the player will be home tomorrow. Like, 
Okay. You don't hear anything the whole time. So Scott Lawton went to Philadelphia and within two days of him being there, Paul Holmgren called me and just to give me a, a, an update. And I was like, Oh, that's great. Thanks. I really, I didn't expect it, but thanks a lot. Two years, two days later, he called and said, all right, here's where we're at. And I'm like, man, this, this is the general manager of the Philadelphia flyers and he actually cares. So the final time he called me, he's like, listen, we're going to send him back. We're just working on the timing. And he said, uh, when do you guys open? And I said, well, we start Thursday night in Peterborough. And line was kind of quiet for a minute. And he goes, ooh, that's a big game for you. I go, yeah, it's my first game back, you know, in, in Peterborough. He goes, he'll be in the lineup, you know, and, and he sent him back. And I sent him a note and I said, like, I'll never forget that. And I said, if the Flyers need anything from the Oshawa Generals, just ask. But, but I mean, again, it doesn't hurt. To, to take a couple minutes, you know, and I never forgot that Paul Holmgren is still one of the best people I've ever met in hockey. So I try and try and pattern myself after those guys as best I can. Nice. And so just to kind of wrap everything up today, um, you worked as an advisor for the Kingston Frontiac. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, do you still work for them? No. Okay. So what are you doing now? <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Andrew, I was with the Frontenacs, uh, um, the guy that was a general manager there, Darren Kiley, is a, quite a bit younger than me, but he was very close to Roger Nielsen as well. So I've known Darren since he was a kid, and he brought me in there just as an advisor and, and to try and help in all areas of the, of the organization in any way I could. Spent a lot of time watching players for them, kind of changing their scouting and how they did things a little bit. And uh, uh, so put a lot of time into it and was in really involved in bringing a guy by the name of Paul McFarland back from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was, had been a coach. I had him in Oshawa as an assistant. He went to Kingston as a head coach and he was at the time was the um, assistant coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he decided he wanted to be a head coach. So worked really hard to bring him back into Kingston. So we got that deal all done. Uh, he left the Leafs on good terms. Everything was set. We had a really good draft. And then for whatever reason, they just decided to fire Darren Kiley and uh, give that role to Paul McFarlane as well, which wasn't going to fly for me because, you know, Darren was such a good person. He was tight with Roger and, you know, I couldn't stay there. So um, wasn't doing anything this past year, um, but I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be back, you know, at a, scouting at the NHL level in the fall because this past year there was no hockey in Ontario. So nobody was you know, people were, were laying people off. They weren't hiring, but uh, I think I'm going to be back uh, at the NHL level scouting, doing what I love to do and, and being part of a team again. So I, I'm, I'm well rested. I've uh, spent a lot of time reading and I've got, I've got two grandsons here in Peterborough or they're just little guys, but you know, they keep me busy, but I'm looking forward. You know, the, the one thing about COVID, as I said, somewhere else, it, it really made you appreciate hockey, you know, when you didn't have it and just the ability to go to a game like and not even the game as much as the social part of it we lost that you know and so to get back at it is is I'm, I'm certainly I'm going to be even more appreciative than I was before so I'm looking forward to watching the OHL get get back playing um and and watching these young players and and being a part of it with at, at the NHL level so um so yeah it, that's uh I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be back doing it uh, in the fall and uh, really excited about it. So, and by no means are you at the end of your career, but coming from the story that, that we've, we've told here over the past hour or so of uh, 
you know, being the, the trainer to the guy that helps, you know, put the uh, press notes together to where you are and what you've done uh, in the game of hockey. I'm not going to say, was it worth it, but I'm going to say with all the ups and downs that, that you've had and so forth like that, uh, was there anything else that you would have rather done? Won the lottery. <laughs> that would have been nice. <laughs> uh, you, you know what, James, to be honest with you, I look back and I'm so fortunate. I got so many great memories. I mean, great friendships. Like we just talked about you guys being based in Tulsa, Rob Murray coaching, who played here in Peterborough, was a good friend of mine. The friendships, the memories. And listen, I'm one of the fortunate ones. I've got four championships here in Ontario. Some teams, as I said, have never won one. So just to be able to say you've been part of four, um, I, I'm forever grateful. So um, no, there's nothing else I would have rather done. Um, I'm very fortunate. I stayed in, you know, I, when, the, when they fired me, it was tough. Um, but as my wife always reminds me, we never moved around. We spent 30 years here. We've, we've got daughters. They grew up here. Um, so I, I can't complain. I'm very fortunate. Um, some things didn't work out as well as I would have liked, you know, especially with the Coyotes um, and Kingston. But, you know, you've got to have certain... Um, I don't know if ethics is the right word or, or, or things that, you know, you working in hockey is, is, is very important to me, but not at the expense of what I feel is the right way to do things. And, uh, and, and so I, I don't, I have no regrets and I'm very fortunate. I just to finish here, I, I, one point I was, when my daughters were a little bit younger, we were sitting out in the back by the pool and, and I said, you know, I got, I kind of feel bad because I missed a lot, like when you guys were growing up and birthdays and stuff. But I said, you know, I, I was just trying to survive, you know, like I was, I had to go and watch games, try and survive. And my oldest daughter, I, to this day, it's one of the best things anybody's ever said to me. She's like, yeah, but you were here when we needed you. <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> okay, because it is all consuming. But uh, again, no, I'm very fortunate. I'm forever thankful that I got the opportunity and to start at the bottom, like I did that, I couldn't have asked for a better way to learn the game and, and be part of it. So very, very thankful. Is there anybody else that have done that, that you're aware of? It uh, yeah, the, the assistant general manager in Winnipeg, Craig Heisinger, really good guy. He was a trainer in, in, uh, in the Western Hockey League forever. And uh, you know, now he's the assistant GM in, in uh, Winnipeg. And, and again, one of the best people you'll ever meet. But uh, other than that, there may be others, I don't know, but Craig, Craig's my idol. So he got to be assistant GM in the NHL. I'm still striving for that, but, uh, and he's, he's been in Winnipeg ever since they started. So, uh, his longevity is, 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 is well-deserved by him. So. Well, you might, you might just actually make it or, or, or beat him. Stranger things have happened, especially in the national hockey league. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, the business, there's so many good people and he's one of them, but that's, that's where I feel fortunate too. just met so many good people. And, and, uh, you know, I stay in touch with a guy like Chris Pronger on a regular basis. And, and we have a lot of guys that came through here that are police officers or, you know, teachers, whatever we stay in touch. And, and those are, it's amazing junior hockey. You could be separated for, um, 20 years. And when you get back together, it's like you were never apart. And, I'll give you an example of how junior hockey works here. Um, on the weekend, Mason McTavish was drafted by the Anaheim Ducks third overall. Um, he plays here in Peterborough, but his dad played here as well. And uh, so I sent his dad a good luck note, um, you know, on, on uh, Saturday morning or fr Friday morning, just say, hey, good luck with Mason. I don't think you'll have to wait too long. And he said, yeah, thanks a lot. He goes, look who's with me. So 
Sean Hines was there who, who played for San Jose Sharks for a little bit. And another guy by the name of Brian Gendron, who never played pro, but those guys met in junior. And to this day, they were all together for Mason's special draft day. So that's pretty special when you yeah. see those relationships. Uh, and, and like we talked about Rob Murray, I could call Rob Murray now and we'd start laughing about things that's, that happened in junior. So awesome. to have that is, is very, like I said, I'm very fortunate. Awesome. Well, Jeff, we're very grateful of your time here. I know that we're over time, but uh, it was well worth it on our end. Yeah. Hopefully you had a good time. I did. Uh, you know, we just uh, fan-based questions, you know, yeah. we're not the insider. So uh, we yeah. appreciate oh, you hanging in there. As you guys, as you guys know, I, I'm never short. There's no shortage of words from me. I'm passionate about it. So anytime I can talk is great. I appreciate it. I I, I, so I thought I was talking to two guys in Boston, but it's Tulsa. So Yeah, yeah, it's Tulsa of all places. Yeah. You don't get a chance to talk to people in Tulsa too often. So, yeah. so don't, don't think I don't appreciate it too. I do. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, we'll say goodbye off here. I'll pause this, but we just uh, want to, again, just thank you for being on our podcast. What a fun interview. Yeah. Well, it was different, man. That's why uh, I know that as, I'm, I'm, we're talking right now. I'm going to release the Paul Carnifin episode with the referee. Um, so between him and between Jeff Tui, um, man, the fans are really getting a good background, you know, of what it's like behind the scenes at all the professional hockey league levels, man. Not just the NHL, AHL, I mean, even all the way to And the one constant is the respect, the professionalism that we're running across as fans as we're delving into the hockey world, per se. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of respect out there and uh, professionalism. And that's just great to see because you might not have that at every any other uh, professional league or, right. you know, s- sport. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, that's what makes hockey great. And uh, we're so grateful for Jeff. And, and like, you know, we said off air, we would love to have him on again, but he may or may not have to if he gets picked up by another NHL team. It's not like we can have him on here and ask him questions but we do wish him the best and hopefully he uh he lands uh, where he wants to land at least we got him on the show beforehand because man he's got some great stories kind of sounds like you know he kind of knew but didn't want to say anything and we, didn't, we didn't want to pressure him yeah yeah we didn't want to pressure him but it sounded sounds like he he has something lined up so i'm kind of we'll, we'll follow him and we'll see uh how it goes but and it's all part of and it's all part of hockey history and like i said his time as gm and in peterborough and all the players that have gone through and everything else so you know i mean it, it's it's hockey history yep. and it's uh, great to have but we're running long uh do we have next week's guests lined up um we've got a couple the only one i'm gonna say off the top of my head so i'm 100 certain on it is uh august 9th is when we'll record is fred knipshire former bruin and providence bruin i remember him playing for the birds we've got another person coming on i don't remember off the top of my head because we've got a luckily we've got a pretty healthy list of guests coming up yep. um but just keep an eye out and yep. hopefully you guys enjoy these next episodes, especially the ones that are not players. Right. And, it, and, it, and it's, and it's not easy to book these interviews, especially when you're on different time zones and everything yeah. else. It's a lot harder than uh, you think what yep. it is. Maybe some podcast should have us on talking about being podcasters. That's true. That? Yeah. That'd be great. All right. Thank you everyone. Right. Episode what? 38. 38. Have a good day.